You're listening to The Savings Tip Jar with Dom Beattie and Harrison Asprey, powered by savings.com.au, your home of consumer finance news, guides and product comparisons. G'day, hope you're well. Yes, you are listening to another episode of The Savings Tip Jar with myself, Dom Beattie, and of course, uh, Harrison Asprey, uh, recording on a beautiful Tuesday up here in sunny Queensland on the eve of our ECA public holiday. Harrison, are you heading off to the ECA this year? Um, I can't say I am going to the uh, <laughs> flu festival this year. Um, don't want to chance it. Uh, it's also, you know, there's there's other plenty of country shows around the Brisbane surrounds that are well worth going mm. to and you're supporting maybe the more regional economies. Uh, so I find they're more worthwhile and cheaper yeah. in this cost of living crunch. Uh, how about you, Dom? Oh, yeah, I don't think I've been to the Echo in about in the last 10 years or so. It used to be the most exciting thing in the world when I was a kid. You're not missing out uh, on much. Really getting those show bags. Uh, that was, I mean, let's be honest, that was the real thing we wanted, just, just the mm. show bags. And then we'll just spend the whole day walking around the Echo, following our parents' coattails, just Fairy digging floss, through our, our ice show cream, bags. then get on the Vomitron and spew it all oh, back up. Oh, yeah, well, uh, well, I was a bit too scared to go on those kind of rides as a kid, but... Um, you know, get around eating a Dagwood dog and maybe some fairy floss and watch watch a couple of horses, pat a few cows. Yeah, good. That's what it's all about. Uh, but, you know, bringing it back to finance, uh, I'm pretty sure the Echo is ludicrously expensive to get tickets to. Yeah, so, if you had a family of four, you know, by the time <laughs> you'd spend money on entry and the show bags and stuff, you might as well go that's to Dreamworld. Right. I was or- about to say, I think it's cheaper actually to go to Dreamworld. I mean, what, that, that's probably not a fact. I'd need to verify that, but... I remember my my parents saying that back in the day. It's like it's cheaper to go to Dreamer. But I mean, you think about the cause, you're raising money for, you know, all the farmers, you gotta think of the farmers. Think of the farmers, what yeah. about the farmers? Mm. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, uh in that little cost of living spiel, uh we'll uh we'll get onto the news and you know, if your wages have gone up, you might find it more affordable to go to the Echo, maybe. Mm. Um so the hot off the press guys is the uh, latest wages growth data for uh, the June quarter so um, April May June uh, and it's come in at 0.8% uh, for the June quarter and 3.6% uh, when it's annualized based on last year so that's um, slightly weaker than anticipated by the major bank economists um, they forecast you know sort of around there so it wasn't too much weaker um, but I reckon Dom uh, the next quarter, so the September quarter, could be in for a blockbuster quarter because of all the wage rises mm-hmm. and um, all the wage reviews and things like that. So it remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, what did you make of that data? Yeah, well, I mean, I think most of the economists were coming out saying they're expecting around 3.7% annual. Uh, so it's come out at 36 so slightly under that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you say, though, uh, really a lot of people's wages go up on 1st of July of the new financial year so you'd expect that that number to pick up a bit I think some economists are predicting a peak in uh, annual wages growth of I think it's like 3.8 or 3.9 percent mm. I don't think anyone expects it the to, RBA says 4.1 to, I think do they okay yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah I don't think the economists were expecting it to, to top out over four percent 
Um, so still not seeing any signs of that uh, wages inflation spiral that, that some were yeah. a bit worried about. Obviously, the RBA wanted to... Um, you know, keep that in check and was a bit freaked out about, about that sort of thing happening. Um, you know, they always gone about, we don't want inflation to be baked into people's expectations because, you know, mm. if inflation of 7% or whatever it is now, it's um, dangerous. Well, it's around 6% now. Mm. If everyone's thinking, oh, well, inflation 7% or 6%. Uh, my salary should be going up by by six percent, and then if that's just happening every year, people getting six percent salary increases, uh, then yes, we probably will see inflation hang around a little bit longer. So unfortunately, uh, a lot of us did have to uh, take a bit of a sacrifice for the economy and uh, take a real wage cut. A Team Australia moment. Yes, you know. Team Australia, just to, to get get that inflation number going down. But if you were lucky enough to get a, a, um, a wage increase that, that matched or exceeded the, uh, the the rate of inflation, then mm. um, yeah, props to you. Well done to you. But you're, you're hurting the economy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, uh, moving on to a slightly different topic. Um, well, actually quite, quite related, in fact, um, on the theme of, you know, wages and what do we do with our wages? We tend to spend them, and uh, spending has, uh, has actually uh, plateaued. Uh, now I'm just looking at the figures now. Uh, it was a bit of a plateau um, over the last month, uh, but there was a significant lift in cinema spending. Mm. Uh, and why is that? Well, there's a couple of films that are pretty popular at the moment. One about a, a life-sized doll that mm. has blonde hair, and the other one about nuclear physics. So who would have thought? But that's driven a 65% increase in monthly cinema spending in July. And yes, we were referring to the Barbie and Oppenheimer movies. Um, but outside of cinema spending, uh, annual growth was nationally was only up a modest 1.3%. So yeah, like I said, plateaued. That's pretty flat growth. Um, and it seems that um, uh, it's, it's you know New South Wales and Victoria... Uh, feeling the brunt of the rate hikes the most because mm. that's where consumer spending actually declined 0.2% and 0.3% respectively. Um, yeah, this this is all based on CBA data, um, mm. you know, the spending that they see on their credit cards and debit cards. I believe that actually covers like 30% of the market. So they it's do a get a pretty snapshot. good accurate reading mm. of uh, overall spending and it's a good indicator of what the ABS series of um, of household spending is going to do, which comes out you know, about another month's time. Yeah. Um, but CBA actually ex- expects uh, the RBA to cut rates by a full percentage point in 2024. So it's currently 4.1. Uh, they're expecting it by you know some t- sometime in 2024 to come down to 3.1%. So interesting to see what that happens, whether that's needed to lift spending. What did you make of, of all this stuff, Harrison? And I believe you've seen one of those yeah, movies. Yeah, I've contributed to the Barbie spend, um, and yeah, it was a it was a it was a good film. And you know, I would encourage men to see it too because it's not just all about um, what all the you know sort of conservative commentators say. It's not just you know man hating. There's messages in there for men too. You know, follow your own path. Don't just be a cookie cutter Ken. You know, mm. installing plasma screens and horse memorabilia everywhere. Um, blaze your own path and be your own man, and don't just live in uh, a woman's sh- shadows necessarily. Um, Beautiful. And yeah, so some great messaging there. Um, haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, but um, I'll contribute to that cinema spend in August. And I can't recall a time where people were so willing to go to the cinema. You know, there's there's 60 
thousandth Marvel franchise movie coming out, but not <laughs> yeah. like does anyone really care I anymore? I, I mean, I, come on. I, yeah, I'm not a Marvel. At, fan at the risk at all. of this turning into a movie review, you know, podcast, which you know we still could do. Um, yeah, Barbie was a pretty worthwhile movie. Um, I thought the overall plot was a little bit thin, but you know, it's just good, good entertainment, cheap entertainment. Load up on popcorn and a um, mm. and a uh, what do they call them? Uh, soft top. No, not soft top. Chalk top. Chalk top. Do people still eat those? Yeah. Yeah, um, one yeah and have a bit time. of fun in this um, cost of living crunch. Expensive uh, though. I mean, bringing it back to, to finance, uh, what is like, how much are you paying for, for a ticket and popcorn and the chalk top? Well, if, if you're going to an event or one of those, you know, premier destinations, you mm. know, a family of four, you'd be spending a hundred bucks easily. Mm. But um, yeah, if you look for those sort of cheaper more boutique cinemas you know in brisbane um i think there's the five star cinema group which is you know red hill and yeah yeah, reading as well you can have a pretty cheap night out i think tickets like 14 bucks Uh, and you know chalk tops and that aren't much more so for twenty dollars for yourself you can you can go and um yeah look i might have to go see oppenheimer by myself because you know no one's willing to go with me (laughs) oh it's too long oh it's too complex blah 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 um come on um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's good to see some hype around the cinemas mm. again, and it's yeah. still a great, um, great experience. And you know, with the um, Hollywood writers' strike at the moment, there's oh, not yeah, all that much that new thing. content, you know, coming to Netflix and things like that. So yeah. um, that might be forcing people to get out and about. Um, but you look, if you're looking to perhaps make some returns on your savings for the movies. Um, and even in this sort of rate pause period that the uh, RBA has enacted in recent months, uh, there has been a bit of rate movement dom in the savings account land. So Teachers Mutual Bank um, and its fellow subsidiaries uh, have raised the interest rate on the uh, on one of its savings rates called the uh, called the Target Saver to 5.5 percent. Which nice. is pretty notable given there hasn't been much movement in in recent months, as I said. Um, so that's that's five point five percent, and that applies to um, the Unibank accounts, Firefighters Mutual. If you know if you're a firefighter, um, and Hiver, and I think Health Professionals Bank. So if you're a nurse or whatever as well, mm-hmm. um, and obviously Teachers Mutual as well. If you're a teacher or um, an ex-teacher, uh, yeah. So you can get a, you can unlock a pretty good savings rate. Yeah. Um, and I think the deposit criteria is pretty like attainable. So um, there's no you know card transactions or anything like that. It's deposit one thousand dollars a month mm-hmm. uh, and make no withdrawal. So it's, they're really wanting you to keep Ooh. locking your funds away. Yeah. So um, and I should mention, Dom, uh, this this might apply to you. Um, if you have five million dollars in savings, uh, you're still oh, yeah. covered because it applies. The five and a half percent applies up to five million bucks. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'll put my uh, four million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand. Straight yeah. in there, and I think you know, quick maths. Uh, it's two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year. If you if you had five million dollars in there, you'd earn two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year. Wow, just an interest. Yeah, that's that's the dream. So yeah, yeah, good to see. I mean, we were talking pretty recently with the uh, one of the Powerpole Jack Powerball Jackpots or whatever they're called. Uh, what was 100 it? Mil. Hundred million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how I much, bought a ticket. How much you would get just by parking that hundred mil uh, into a uh, turn deposit offering? Yeah, five percent. You would be earning a very tidy. So I think it was like several million a year. It was like five million a year. Easy, something like that. Um, Just an interest. 
that would be the smart thing to do. But of course, a lot of we do hear all those stories about people that win the lottery being declared bankrupt uh, yeah. a few years later because they just go mental. Suddenly have some friends from year three you know, coming <laughs> to you saying, hey, you remember me? I didn't help fight off bullies in year three. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you gotta, everyone will be coming to you asking for a handout. Um, and then you, you've got to factor in your, your private jet and uh, of course, your, yeah. your yacht and, and all that stuff. They'll, they'll eat into that. Um, mm. But yeah, no. So if, if you're lucky enough to, to win 100 million in the lottery, probably consider uh, parking that money into a turn deposit where you can just earn That'd be the five million smart dollars a year option. for not doing yeah. anything. But yeah, five and a half percent. That's you know, it's definitely pretty, competitive. pretty good. That's uh, I'd say that's probably uh, pretty near the, the 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 top of the market. Well, five point six five. I think there is, is the, top, the five. Yeah, there is that one one for uh, I believe it's Me Bank. Yeah, and it's uh, called the Home Me mm. Saver account. Homey. Yeah, I'd never actually thought about that. Homie, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, offering 5.65% designed to um, be for those people who are trying to save up a deposit for a house. But 5.5% uh, is also pretty good as well. Um, looking across to another story, uh, this is in insurance land. So research from the Actuaries Institute has found the median home insurance premiums have surged by more than $400 in the 12 months to March, reaching an all-time high of $1,894 across all states. Wow. So that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty steep for a home insurance premium. Uh, I believe that is an annual figure. Um, I mean, naturally, they're finding households in high-risk areas such as flood zones, as you'd expect, have saw, seen their home insurance's uh, premiums rise by up to 50%. Um, they're also showing that one in eight households are facing affordability stress hmm. where they spend more than four weeks of their annual income on home insurance. Hmm. Um, and, you know, this is all exacerbated by the war in Ukraine and the pandemic, which has driven up building costs because of the supply chain shortages and um, higher natural disaster premiums as well. So these are all contributing to increasing insurance costs. I was having a look recently at my home insurance premium, which was set to go up quite a, a big amount. Uh, and you know what? I, I got a few different quotes from a few different places. I also considered tinkering, tinkering with things like my um, how much excess I'm willing to pay should I need to make a claim. Mm. Um, I increased that from it was it was only about seven hundred dollars to I basically doubled it to fifteen hundred because I just wanted to bring down that premium. And I was thinking, you know, if something happens. I'd be happy to like spend a lot of excess if it mm. means my, my premium is going to come down quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I doubled my, my, my premium, uh, sorry, my excess, and it actually halved my premium. <laughs> wow. Uh, I mean, one thing I did as well was I, I tinkered around with a couple of um, sum insured calculators to try and work out you know how much it would cost to rebuild my home if it's to be completely decimated. Uh, and I found that maybe I actually had too high a number Over that. Assured. So I brought that number down a fair bit uh, and that all contributed to, to helping to halve my insurance premium. So there are things you can do is, is basically the, the, the message to take away with that. Um, don't just let your premiums just, just jump. Um, make sure you get at least two or three quotes. It's really easy to do. Just um, you can do it all online, punch in a few details yeah. on, a, on a few different pages and um, it will usually generate a premium for you there on the spot um, and you can just get a, a good good vibe for, for what the, the market pricing is. Yeah, and you should do that 
sort of yearly, you know, as part Absolutely. of your life admin. If you review your, you know, your, your car loan, your home loan once a year, you should also add your insurances onto that as well. Yeah. Um, and a doubling of your excess, you know, it sounds dramatic, but, you know, if a tree falls on your house, then it's likely going to cause more than 1500 bucks worth of damage. Mm-hmm. So it's like still worth it to pay yeah. that um, out of pocket. And that, you know, for a lot of people, that's not, not too much either. So mm-hmm. 1500 bucks, it's not like it's a... Um, a car where, where if you scrape it or whatever you need to weigh up oh is the scrape worth more than mm. you know, 700 bucks or $1,500 it's like a house so it's gonna mm-hmm. if there's damage it's likely gonna be more than that easily so yeah shop around guys and um, yeah it's uh, it's not good that uh, insurance premiums rising is contributing heavily to the overall inflation figure um, mm-hmm. even though it is coming down slightly so yeah not good news but if you shop around you can kind of mitigate that that uh, hurt somewhat um yeah, but yeah, without uh, don't further pay the ado, loyalty tax. yeah, yeah, don't pay the loyalty tax, and um, and don't pay the loyalty tax on your home loan either. And to talk more about home loans um, and you know finance broking and the state of the economy in general, uh, we have Peter White from the uh, Finance Brokers Association of Australia uh, to talk with us. Okay, now few people are as in touch with the finances of everyday Aussies as finance brokers. So joining us to provide an overview on the current state of Aussie household finances is the Managing Director of the Finance Brokers Association of Australia, Peter White. Welcome to the Savings Tip Jar, Peter. Thanks, Doric. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us, Peter. So the first question, bit of a bit of a prickly one. Um, there's all this talk about the so-called fixed rate mortgage cliff. Uh, what are brokers in... Uh, that you've spoken to noticing right now? Is it a bit of fact or fiction? Are Aussies uh, or Aussie households well-equipped to deal with uh, rolling off their fixed rates that they locked in um, a few years ago? Yeah. yeah. So, Harrison, it's a, an interesting piece to, to talk through. So the, the actual peak of that um, fixed rate take-up was July this year. So we're now just coming over the top of the bell curve and uh, – that's uh, so July two years ago is when the majority or the, the, the maximum peak of these take up of two fixed rates start, uh, finished and then it sort of started to crescendo off there. There's been some um, conversations in industry media of late from some of the banks saying that a lot of their um, borrowers have um, dealt with this very, very well. And I dare say what the banks have done and what they should always do is proactively reach out to the clients that are in that rate bracket before they get the end of it and help them to restructure potentially what is coming. Um, so, you know, whether it's taking up another fixed rate or whether it's going onto a variable variable rate, it's really subjective to what is in the best interest of that borrower and, and how that best plays out for them in their circumstances. And although home loans are pretty vanilla, um, individual circumstances vary. And therefore you need to get it right. Do you take another fixed rate? How long, if you do, how long do you take it for? Or do you go onto a variable or what the case may be? And uh, it seems at least some of the banks might have managed that well. We've been uh, speaking with not just our members, but industry at large, as we were looming up to this come earlier this year, saying that you need to reach out to your clients and say, look, this is going to look something like this as you come off the back end of it. You're either going to go onto a fixed rate, which is going to be higher than what you're paying now, or you're going to go on a variable rate that's going to be higher than what you're paying now and could be a lot higher depending on what that variable rate looks like. So the best thing is to work with your client and say, let's let's rework your monthly payments on that higher interest rate now, even though it doesn't mm. apply. And 
pay what you normally pay, but take that difference and put it somebody else somewhere else where you don't see it. Put it in a bank account, shit into offset, whatever, but put it somewhere else and don't spend it so you get used to not having it so that when you come off the fixed rate, regardless of what you do, it's not going to be a real nasty shock if you are, uh, yeah, because if everybody's like me, you tend to spend what you get. Um, yeah, most people tend to do that. And that's not really where you want to be in this sort of marketplace because it is very unusual. This is this is my 45th year in this industry. Wow. And I've been through GFCs and recessions and yeah, you name it, I've been through it. Um, and this is very unusual to any other time in history. So it's something that needs careful navigation, but needs a lot of common sense. So the common sense approach is what we talk and said, look, treat it like you don't have that money now and get used to balancing your books, balancing your your, expendi- your, your expenditures, your um, spending habits accordingly, so that once you step off, it's not such a nasty shock. And I think the combination of all those sorts of things, those dollar conversations and the banks being proactive or, and lenders in general that maybe are not ADIs as such, um, has helped to reduce the impact because we did a survey back, well, it's probably two years ago now, as a predictive piece that says, hey, we have been in this low interest rate environment for a horribly long time. And given the couple of decades or more I've been in this industry, um, we knew rates were always going up. And we said, look, where is what we've tried to find out through the research is where is your pain point? Where is it the point that you cannot make your payments? And it generally came back as 1% increase or $300 a month. And we did that both based on rental payments and based on mortgage repayments. And that's where the stress point was. So we're now four times that. (laughs) Um, And so we revisited that piece earlier this year and we said, look, interest rates have gone up what they have. How have you managed? And so people had renegotiated with their banks. People had sold assets. They'd taken on second jobs. They had um, uh, used up their cash in the bank or redraws or offset accounts. They'd done all these things possible to make sure they kept managing it. So when, you know, whether they'd already come off their fixed rates, the bell curve, there's a run up to it, hit the peak, and there's a run off. So we're, mm. we're now at the top of the runoff, and that'll go to the better part of the end of the year. Um, people have done lots of things to manage it. That's where there was a bit of a slap in the face by the Reserve Bank governor saying, um, it was only a few months ago now, oh, people need to do this, 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 and this, you know, get a second job, sell assets. But they'd already done it. Mate. Already done it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, already done it. So where to now? And I spoke at a um, uh, a Senate inquiry into um, uh, into affordability, a Senate Select Committee, I should say. And um, yeah, they'd heard my comments on other things uh, around this. I'm, I'm pretty sure we're probably talking about it a bit later. But yeah, you know, I said at the moment, people have stretched that rubber band. The research shows they have done all these things. We get more interest rate increases. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, snap the rubber band. Mm. So we're at the point where we weren't 100% sure, but were we at that full tension of the rubber band or was there a little bit flex in it? And we've seen that given so far, and there is a drag on this, but given so far there hasn't been a rapid escalation in hardships with banks right? Um, that people have managed, but we're not at the end of it yet. So we'll see how we go. Um, in regards to how that plays out. I think Aussies have been amazingly resilient through something is very unique in our lending history. So, Peter, I mean, much of the talk about the mortgage cliff was in the media and it was 
perhaps a bit overhyped talking about how we're probably going to see a surge in arrears and uh, people having to, you know, be tossed out of their homes and um, house prices collapsing. Would you say, I mean, maybe it's a bit too early to tell, but would you say it seems like uh, Australians are by and large going to sail through this this storm pretty well? Um, well, I, I think the majority of people get through it a lot better than expected. And, and although we can sort of, um, be a little bit negative to the media by making a lot of hype out of this. Um, we're in the mix of that because by bringing awareness to it helps people to, um, you know, wake up, get your head out of the cloud sort of stuff. You need to look at this before it bites you on the bun um, and things become terribly, terribly wrong in your world. So it became a very important awareness piece that this thing was spoken about. And I think through that, um, that, you know, Aussies in generally have fared significantly better than any of us expected. Um, and like I said, there's still a bit more to come yet. And uh, hopefully those people manage things in a similar vein. But there's always going to be some cases that don't work out so well. Some people are not going to be able to manage it. Um, some people are going to find themselves in, in certain postcode areas where property prices have skyrocketed and then pulled back again and, and, and the world's a bit disastrous. And for those people, they, they actually need to manage their destiny. Don't let the bank take it over. Don't let the bank put you into mortgaging possession and try and sell your house for you. Because if you do that, then you wind up with nothing. You wind up with a bad credit rating. You lose any equity. And life is really crap for quite some time. If you look after and, and you run that process yourself, and I've said this on radio and TV many times through this period, is that if you control your destiny, you'll protect your credit rating, you'll get the equity that's left out of your home and you'll live to play another day very, very easily and very soon. So there's not a lot of people I think these days now they're going to wind up in that boat, but for a period of time, there's quite a few people that could likely wind up in that situation. So, um, yeah, I think Aussies have done an amazing job. There's still going to be some tough cases in certain places and they really are. Yeah, some people say to me, oh, Pete, what's going to happen in this suburb or this state? Or whatever? You can't pick it that way. House property price movements almost become very subjective to postcode allocations. And in the case where I live in Brisbane, um, which side of the street you're on? I live on Brisbane River and uh, the, the side of the street I live on floods um, <laughs> versus the other side of the street that doesn't. And there's a whole host of different dynamics that play in relationship to that. Um, so it's, you know, anybody who sort of gives broad brush approaches to property, I think has got it wrong. Um, it is very, very unique to that sort of finite sort of detail as to what will happen with people. And people are best judged to look at their own suburbs to so say, what's happening around me? And, and then make a determination on what the market looks like there um, and uh, and take the best steps forward. And, you know, if you're, you're in a situation where your interest rate's looking pretty ordinary, then you need to look around and find an alternative. Sure. We actually didn't realise that you were in Brisbane, Peter, because we, we're Brisbane-based too. We, we could have got you in, in our office in, in person. So <laughs> maybe, maybe next time. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll move to um, – it, it kind of feeds into the whole, you know, fixed rate mortgage cliff recently. You know, um, you've probably noticed that um, banks have lowered their serviceability buffer for uh, refinances, and um, that's down from 3% now. You've been pretty vocal in the past about having a sort of – more official lower buffer rather than banks just applying it um, as a uniform rule. 
Um, so why should APRA lower it? And is there any chance they will, um, noting that they increased it to 3%, uh, citing financial stability, uh, I think, uh, nearly a couple of years ago now? Correct. So um, with the whole buffer rate conversation, again, it plays back to what we're talking about, about media and public awareness. If I can see now if the FBAA hadn't spoken out about this, if I hadn't been on national TV and radio, I don't think the banks would have done anything, to be honest with you, because they were forced to and uh, there was that much public pressure and conversation around it that they made some early steps that aren't good enough, and again, on public record for that, but they are first steps in my mind. So APRA has a provision that sort of says, in a layman's term, you can't do this all the time. But if you feel there are certain circumstances, you can lower that buffer rate. Mm. And some of the ADIs have taken that option, but it's in a very, very restrictive parameter. It's not like it's open to anyone. And they all vary a little bit, but it's a good first step. It's just not far enough, which is why I have written submissions to the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, and also the Financial Services Minister, Stephen Jones, petitioning that this be made more suitable to the time of need. Now, from what I've seen over all these years, there, there is no driven process for APRA to review buffer rate, servicing rates. And um, the two things I've asked for is one, there needs to be a process driven review. So whether that's every year, probably annually, unless there is a, an abnormality in the marketplace, then it needs to be reviewed and assessed to say it is still fit for purpose. Because I don't believe in what we've been going through that 3% hasn't been fit for purpose. And we can see that, otherwise the banks wouldn't have adjusted some of them, right? some of their uh, 1% capabilities. So to me, it's a fit for purpose test that's driven by uh, a process that doesn't exist. Because you mentioned before it was lifted a few years ago. Um, that was because of a circumstance. It always seems to be when then something goes left of centre, uh, all of a sudden there is pressure, focus, however you want to look at it, for this to be, this dial to be moved to make it more appropriate for the needs of the day. And I think that needs to be process-driven. And it may mean at times it just doesn't move. No one's saying it has to. But when we've been through what we are, and uh, I mentioned before about speaking at the uh, Senate Select Committee on uh, housing affordability, that um, you know, I was actually quizzed at that particular Senate inquiry that uh, did I still believe it should be down around 1.5%. And my view was as a broad brush, so for everyone, not in select circumstances, but I believe it is probably somewhere between 1% to 2% is the servicing buffer rate. Um, 1% in certain circumstances makes sense. Um, and the lower end of my one5 to 2 so call it 1.5%, was really about if you're already in the system, you're an existing borrower and you're not increasing your debt, you're not changing the dynamics of debt or risk in the totality of the industry. You're already there. You're in it. So why not reduce the servicing buffer rate? It's just a calculation to be able to get an approval, right? Because the rate you're going to pay is going to be less anyhow. So why disadvantage people by not allowing that to play out? Because you're in the system. Different if you want to increase that. Different if you're coming in for the first time. That's not what it's about, right? But the limitation that we've had is so much more restrictive than that thought process I don't know how many people it really benefits. It'd be interesting to see, and I doubt we ever will, is the data that sits off the back of that to say this is the impact of what this 1% um, servicing buffer rate on a select amount of people had. 
I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. It will certainly help some, but we need to help a lot more than just that. Because it's unfair to think that all these people who spent all their savings, sold assets, got second jobs just to cope. There's a better way to do it. I guess, Peter, the uh, you know the 3% serviceability buffer is there in case uh, the, the RBA decides to put up interest rates a further 3 percentage points or 300 basis points. Um, but I guess with us, a lot of people saying now that we might be at the peak of the cash rates uh, increase cycle, uh, do you think, you know, well, what's your views on that? I mean, perhaps that that feeds in more to to the argument that the the buffer should be lowered if interest rates aren't going to to or are very unlikely to go up another three hundred basis points. So, do you think uh, the interest rates have peaked? Um, I believe so. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. RBA's never put up interest rates at three hundred basis points in one job, so that is a highly, highly, highly unlikely thing to see in my forty fifth year of being in this industry. Never seen that happen. Seen regular jumps. Right, but not one big jump. In the rally years, when we look globally at what's happening, um, we hope that, you know, from my point of view, I think we have hit the peak. I am still yet to see any further justifications of any more increases in the cash rate as it is at the moment. But a part of that's also impacted on global cost of funds. So banks who uh, and non-banks who securitize um, assets into the bond market through securitization vehicles are having to deal with what's happening with international marketplace for um, being able to uh, purchase bonds or sell bonds into the marketplace and how that comes in as a, a cost of um, cost of funds as such. So there's still other influences in the marketplace outside of our economy. And it comes down to that securitization cost of funds piece. But I think that you know, if it happens again, there's only another 25 basis points in it. Um, my gut says at the moment it won't happen. Our own economies look like they're correcting and stabilising enough to say, well, you still need to pause. Um, and we were the ones that have been calling for a pause on this review for quite some time because we we're never allowed to see the full impact of the human data that was being played out in this gig. So that when they were making their decisions every month, every month, every month, it was looking at the economic data that was around two to three months old, sometimes possibly even more. So it was never up to date. And the problem was is that the poor borrower, every time there was a rate increase, they're trying to make adjustments and they took a breath and all of a sudden there's another adjustment to make, so rate went up and they could never catch a breath on this. So never it started to drag the outcome of the humanization of what was happening, what I call the human data out the back of this. And so... By pausing, you get to see that flow and effect because when it comes to financial hardship, you've got probably anywhere from a three to six months drag before you see that in the marketplace. So this constantly ratcheting is it was was problematic to say, well, you're gonna, you know, you're, you're gonna create a bigger problem possibly than what should be there. Because if people could refinance now under better servicing buffer rates, they possibly would not be in that financial hardship position. There were opportunities that could have happened that weren't allowed to happen because this rabbit kept jumping every time and you couldn't catch it. Um, so now I think with a couple of pauses, we can start to see what that data looks like and what the data is showing. And even the human data is the human data says there's not a lot of escalation of arrears and financial hardship at the moment. So that's a good thing. We're looking at what's happening with CPI and inflation, and that's coming back. If these things keep trending in these sorts of directions, then there is no reason to put up interest rates. Rather, as we get into the new year, we need to start bringing interest rates down. It probably won't happen till the latter part of the first half of 2024. 
but it is the year where interest rates need to start to scale back down again, assuming everything else plays out all right at the moment. At the moment, the trend is that way. So, yeah, I don't think there should be another interest rate. I, I feel there won't be unless there's something that happens in international markets that has an impact on it that's not having a further impact on what's happening now and that our um, our uh, inflationary rate and other measures have been taken all play out in a, a balanced way that says to all those that make the decisions, let's not do anything just yet. Peter, on that, um, we've had previous uh, guests on on this program uh, talking about the the idea of of an insurance cash rate rise. You know, we've seen the I think the European Central Bank has done one more. The Bank of New Zealand is kind of still hiking, even though their economic indicators are um, showing signs of you know coming down, inflation is coming down, and and whatnot. Um, but you kind of said previously um, that that Australian households are still very well placed to withstand you know rate rises. Arrears are very low. Um, so, um, just explain that a bit more in terms of like, why can't Australia deal with a, a few more rate rises to really truly stamp out the inflation problem? Um, have, do, you know, do people have short memories? Um, cause inflation has been low for, for 30 years. Um, and, and you, and you would have seen in your 45 years of experience, you know, the ebbs and flows of inflation in, you know, the late eighties and so on. Um, so why can't Australian households sort of withstand a few extra rate rises? So I talk about that human data piece versus the economic data that is a lot older and the, the, humanizer, the human piece is a lot more, more current, that if inflation is showing that it's trending back and that data is not necessarily right this minute, then we still don't know how much more it's coming down. If it's coming down, it's coming down. Yeah, It's heading in the right direction. So therefore, where, be, where is the justification to keep hiking rates? I have been saying for two and a half years that the the fixed rate that the retail fixed rate should be somewhere between six and seven percent this is way before we got here right that's not the cash rate that's what the bank would charge between six to seven percent which is pretty much where we are today and what it does it creates a harmonic balance in that it's not too low that it can't be sustained it's not too high that it craps on all the marketplace and no one can afford it it mm. gives you that balance of scale and over all these years and there's various very uh, various economic pieces that come into play. So I can go back when I first started my retail banking career and I was a lending officer back in um, the early 80s doing home loans at 18.5%. Wow. 18 and a half. Now, we're never going to get there again, but also the average house is probably 50 grand, right? Very different dynamics in economies. Um, but the principles still play out is that we're heading in the right direction we need to make sure that we don't do something to stop that correction by jumping too soon on the next marketplace. And the other thing you've got to watch is this isn't just about inflation. We've come into this off the back of a global pandemic. Now, a lot of countries have suffered a lot, lot worse than Australia did through the pandemic. And therefore, our financial economic resilience has been far better than many countries around the world. So therefore, we're better placed not expecting, but better place to take on this next challenge straight out of the pandemic to inflation skyrocketing through the roof to be able to then you know, turn it around and bring it back into play. So they're, they're my reasons why I, I believe this uh, we are well-placed in Australia. Like I said, it doesn't mean everybody gets out scot-free. Um, it's not necessarily a perfect science, but I think we are better placed than anywhere else in the world by what I see. And I also... You guys may not be aware. I chair an international federation for mortgage broking called the IMBF. It's the only mm. one in the world. 
Uh, we have six countries collaborating in conversations. We meet monthly. Um, so I see what's happening around the world every month, let alone the news bulletins I get every day from around the world. Um, and I look at that and assess where we are in Australia and say, yeah, yeah, we we are in the lucky country, even though it's been hard and hard for so, so many people. Um, but we are the best place to get through this in the best light. Just before we wrap up, I just want to get a bit of a, a take on uh, the mortgage prisoner effect, which is another thing that we've heard a lot about in the media, um, talking about, you know, obviously with the rates being a lot higher and that 3% buffer still being in place, how people are locked into the current mortgages. Um, just exactly, you know, based on your conversations with, with brokers within your association, um, how prevalent is this issue? Are, are, are there many? What Do you have a rough idea of how many people actually are currently mortgage prisoners? When you look at the data that sits from the Reserve Bank on the difference between the new broker rate, uh, the new borrower rate versus the existing borrower rate, historically it was around 45 to 50 basis points. Now that's starting to narrow in. So it's around 40 basis points at the moment, which is an unusual trend. But again, this is why talking in the media has such a powerful effect because until we start speaking in the media, and I can track it off the Reserve Bank's data, Nothing was changing. It still had this big gap. Now, that's on an average basis. That's not an individual basis. So, again, the part of the petitioning that we put to the Treasurer and to the Financial Services Minister said there needs to be transparency around what the existing borrower rate is because it's entrapping people. It's trapping them and they can't move and they become prisoners in that mortgage because two months ago I was on uh, air to uh, a radio station that was playing nationally and it was a live call-in by borrowers. Now, this was a few months ago now, and a borrower rang up and said he was paying 7.8%. They probably wow. should have been paying early sixes or maybe late fives, 7.8. Now, very difficult for him to get out of it mm-hmm. because where he was, instruction and so on, but also, too, the 3% buffer rate was was prohibiting him from doing anything yeah, um, because 7.8. there wasn't all the – yeah, there also wasn't all the calls that are the, the yeah, if you noticed at the moment, the cash incentives have gone, but the mm. rates are coming down for the new borrow rates. So they're sort of flicking one around for the other. We didn't have that before. They were saying, we're going to charge this rate and here's, here's a bucket full of money. And people are going, ooh, happy days and spending it on holidays and goodness knows what um, for those that afford to do it. But the bigger problem was with the mortgage prisoners that were getting trapped that were paying excessive amounts of interest because they could because they couldn't finance out elsewhere because of the buffer weight risk uh, causing the restriction to move, right? And that's meant that the banks could basically charge what they like on the existing existing portfolio, what we in the industry call the back book or the existing borrower book, right? They could charge what they like because they couldn't get out, so you're trapped, you own it. Now, I've got meetings coming up with the federal minister further around this because the final piece that we called out for was transparency in all advertising when banks in particular, because they're probably the worst uh, at this than anyone else, and and it applies to all lenders, that when you advertise this is the rate for new borrowers, you must advertise what the rate is for existing borrowers to be very transparent Mm -hmm. as to this is good because it's the same. This is where we're seeing that borrower and new uh, existing borrower and uh, new borrower rates starting to come together a bit, which is an unusual point in time, because they can see this is coming. That um, 
there needs to be transparency about it. Just be honest. In the old days, in, you know, if um, I go back into the early 2000 era and lending through there, and, and also through the, the around the, the late 1990s, um, yeah, there are, it was very big to have honeymoon rates where it's very transparent. So I'm going to give you this rate, but it's 1% below the existing borrower rate. And when you come off the honeymoon rate in 12 months' time, expect your rate will go up to 1% to whatever the existing borrower rate is of the day, right? It was transparent. If you liked it, great. If you didn't, you didn't do it. At the moment, people aren't given, being given choice because there's no transparency around it. So we've asked uh, the treasurer, in actual fact, I was at a breakfast with him in Melbourne a few weeks ago, and uh, we're talking more on this, even though I put it in a, a submission, a petition to them. And uh, I'm now about to step into conversations with, uh, uh, I won't name names, but with a, a very senior portfolio minister to make sure that we bring into this particular piece that transparency. You know, we went through the Haynes Royal Commission, you know, what was it now, almost five years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, why how time flies. Um, yeah, but one of the principal outcomes of that was the that trust is created through transparency, the truth, right? How would you like to go to a new bank going, I've got the best deal, really great interest rate, and find over six to 12 months' time, your rate starts creeping up and you can't stop it and it keeps going. It might be little bits, but little bits all the time, yeah? You'd be feeling pretty lousy about what you thought was a good deal, and then all of a sudden, guess what? You're stuck. So this is where 3%, I don't believe, is reasonable. We're never going to go another 300 basis points. I'm certainly not advocating for zero. That doesn't make sense. But it needs to be assessed regularly so it's fit for purpose. So as markets look like they're shooting up, it may need to increase. As markets seem to contract, it needs to be reduced. It needs to have that mm. elasticity in it driven by a process-driven review uh, that makes sense and makes sure that it's fit for purpose of the day. For sure, Peter White, that might be what the RBA governor's messaging is all about, the uh, so-called soft landing. Um, that's about all we have time for on the Savings Tip Jar podcast. Peter, thanks for joining us once again. Harrison, Dominic, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks, Peter. Thank Appreciate it. So that was Peter White, the Managing Director of the Finance Brokers Association of Australia with some really valuable insights there into you know what's what households are currently going through and uh, you know just his general thoughts on, on what what um, you know those in charge should be doing should they mm. be lowering the the app um, the serviceability buffer uh, should banks be more open to to helping people refinance what do you think of all that has yeah I, th I thought it was a great chat with Peter um, t talked at length about all that stuff and you know with over 40 years of experience in the industry you know he would have seen a thing or two and would have seen trends come and go and um i thought it was interesting what he said about you know the sort of like cash rate balance as well like and um it might be a bit too too uh swayed in the, in the direction of being restrictive um and that might come down next year to be more of a balanced figure where you can kind of um, have a more sustainable economy I guess you mm -hmm. know the 0.1% interest rates definitely weren't sustainable um, sub 2% home loans weren't weren't sustainable either mm -hmm. but maybe nor is right now because um, as we've talked about you know in the news and things like that um, economic markers are coming down um, maybe faster than anticipated I, I think it's funny you know the first half of this year uh, we were talking about you know 
households are defiant in the, in the way of rate rises and mm-hmm. so on. But now I think that's starting to turn. The yeah. economic markers are starting to, to turn, you know, household spending, inflation and mm-hmm. and wages growth even is weaker than anticipated. So it's all coming back down. And, um, and Peter raised a good point too that uh, the economy operates in a lag, so the RBA is often flying blind on these cash rate mm. rises because they're not op- they're operating on data that's you know sometimes two or even three months old by the time it comes out. So mm. yeah, it's a great chat, and um, yeah. it's from someone at the coalface, to be honest. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, he's got a lot of politicians' um, ears as well, so he's been busy. Mm, very influential yeah. man, but yeah, it does seem like you know the economy as a whole is a very slow ship to, to turn around. Mm. I mean, just imagine like a gigantic cruise ship and it's it's heading in a certain direction and you've got to suddenly put it in reverse. You put the thrusters on, but you're probably still going to keep heading in that in that direction. Mm. Uh, so for, for a while. So, I mean, it was always going to take a while for these rate rises to really kick in and, and no one should have expected immediate results, but immediate drops in, in spending and... yeah. Um, it's. I think now with even with with rates on hold for what that is, is that two or three months it's been in a row on hold. I think it's just two months. Yeah, it's been on hold. June was the last hike. Um, we're still seeing the impacts of the the rate hikes from like three months ago, um, still still passing through and, and mm. causing people to cut back on spending, except of course on cinema spending, going out to see Oppenheimer. Barbie trumps all. But, but that's the thing as well, you know, in a cost of living crunch. <clears throat> you've got to sometimes enjoy yourself as well for what little money you've managed to set aside mm. life's for living enjoying yourself you need yeah. to you know spend on yourself occasionally and just get that that joie de vivre out of life <laughs> and and i saw um a thread on reddit today it's like how do people afford to eat lunch out every day and the top comment was something like it's my only joy in the day <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's a that, that 12 dollar you know yeah curry chicken or whatever's making some people just hang in there you know get mm. through their day which yeah you can't sacrifice all joys um, mm. but if you can cut back on like those painful expenses like your insurance premiums yeah your home loan repayment uh then yeah that's that's the first things i'd be looking to chop yeah um but yeah and also i mean any unnecessary spend naturally um so yeah i think that brings us to the end of another episode of the savings tip Chat podcast thank you to peter again for joining us and thanks harrison Thanks, Tom. Great to be here once again. And um, we'll make sure to have another one out next week. So make sure you tune into that. Absolutely. And don't forget to like, review and subscribe. Uh, also, if you want to see some some of our faces uh, appearing in some of these interviews, be sure to check out our YouTube channel where mm. we've been putting out some of our, um, our interviews with our special guests. So you can go back through and watch a couple of uh, chats we've had in the past. Um, and of course, if you've got any inquiries, shoot us an email at inquiries at savings.com.au. That's inquiries with an E. Ah, uh, right, yep. That's, That's right. Cool. Okay, thanks everyone. Bye. Thanks, bye.